You take your Bibles this morning and turn over to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, if you'll stand with me as I read the first verse. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We ask that you would speak to our hearts today. We pray for those who may need special comfort, that they would find that comfort today in you. We pray you give us the wisdom of how to use your word and how to point people to you to comfort them in their time of need. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. As you go through ministry, you're going to have people come to you for comfort. Be all kind of situations. Let's say you have a family in the church and uh, their daughter has just committed suicide. And they come to you. They need comfort. Maybe another family and they've just gotten news that their son has been killed in an accident and you go uh, to them. How do you comfort them? Well, let's say you have a situation where Someone had been in your church, they've gotten away from the Lord, they've fallen into sin, they've wrecked their lives, maybe their wife has left them, uh, their children have gone astray, then God deals with them, they come to you, they want to make things right with the Lord. How are you going to comfort them? So God here... In the second half of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah for the first 39 chapters has been dealing a lot with judgment. And so chapters 40 to 66, then the theme is comfort. The Lord now is kind of projecting them towards the future. And he speaks to Isaiah, but not just to Isaiah, because notice here in verse 1, he says, comfort ye. So it's more than just Isaiah. He's speaking to those that are God's servants in time of need that God's, there's going to be those of God's people that need comfort. It says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. God is still their God in the time of trial and crisis, isn't he? He's still our God in the time of trial and uh, crisis. And so this is looking forward then to the time God had already told Hezekiah in the previous chapter because of his uh, pride and forewarning him that everything that he had was going to be taken by the Babylonians. So now we're looking to the end of the exile. So God's people have been in exile for 70 years. They have suffered the consequences of their sin. 
captivity, death, starvation, destruction of their homeland, destruction of Jerusalem. They've been in uh, exile, and now God is speaking to Isaiah, to others, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. God has a message of comfort for these that had forsaken him, to these that had gone their own way, to these who had suffered the consequences of their sin, but yet they were still God's people. And so the call is, comfort ye my people. God has not forgotten them. God has not deserted uh, them, as they seem to think when we get over to verses 26, 27 uh, in the chapter. But he says, here's the call, comfort my people. Well, how do we comfort people that are suffering? How do we comfort people that have turned from the Lord or have now realized, I have suffered the consequences of my decisions? And so we see a pattern here, two aspects then. How do we comfort people that are in need? How do we find comfort in need? And so God points Isaiah to two key thoughts here that are uh, given in the chapter. The first one would be the Word of God. Do we find comfort in God's Word? Yes. You know, what does it tell us over in Romans, uh, you know, chapter uh, 15 and verse 4, that through uh, God's Word then the patience and comfort of scriptures, we might have hope. And then the second one, the word of God and the God of the word. Those are the two pillars for comfort for God's people, aren't they? God's word and the God of the word. So look, we we won't have time to expound every aspect of this chapter Uh, But look down if you would, because he says, Comfort my people, speak comfortably to Jerusalem, cry unto her, her warfare is accomplished. God has finished punishing them for their sin. Their iniquity is pardoned. That's always a good word of comfort, isn't it? God forgives sin. That if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your sin is pardoned. It's taken care of. And so, the word of comfort. Then, look in verse 7 and 8. The grass withereth. The flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. See, they were suffering at the hands of the Babylonians. 
They had suffered at the hands of the Assyrians. They had suffered in many uh, aspects. And so they look at things. God, have you forgotten us? You know, look at where we're at. Look at the situation. And God says, well, the people are as grass. What happens to the grass? It withers. It fades away. Says, you don't have to be concerned about the Babylonians. And he tells them he's going to raise up Cyrus, who will be his servant to deliver them from the Babylonians, to defeat the Babylonians, and allow them to return back to their homeland. That God was working. That God's word, he says, the people are going to be like grass. They're just going to wither. They're not the problem. It says God's word stands forever. We can depend on it today. We can depend on it tomorrow. Uh, next year, when you get to be uh, 60 years old, God's word stands forever. It never fails. And so he says, remember, says God's word stands forever and every promise that he has made concerning Jerusalem, concerning his people, every promise that he's given to us uh, today still stands, doesn't it? It doesn't change. And so comfort ye my people by reminding them of the promises of God's word. God's word stands forever. It is dependable. But then, <coughs> look in verse 9. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountains. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid, say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. There's the comfort. It says God's word and his promises. But you know, a lot of people make promises. But the promises are no greater than the person who makes them. And so we know, you know, we have certain politicians make all kinds of promises, don't they? But we don't give an ounce of credence to those because we know the character of the person making the promises. That they're not trustworthy. Their promises don't mean anything. <coughs> but when we talk about God, that's different, isn't it? God is faithful. God is true. God is all-powerful. Every promise that he made and has made, he is able to fulfill and will fulfill. So here's the good tidings. Behold your God. A lot of our problems come because we have a low view of our God. That we don't see who He is. We forget uh, who He is. And so Isaiah then is challenged, says, remind them, says, here's the glad tidings. Behold your God. Verse 10, behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, remind, reminding them of a victorious warrior. 
when he delivered them from the land of Egypt. His arm shall rule for him. <coughs> Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. So, two aspects we see. It says, behold your God. Behold, he's a powerful God. <coughs> Nothing is too hard for him. And that's going to be expounded as you go through the chapter. But then, not only is he a transcendent, all-powerful, great God, he's also a pastoral God. What does he say in verse 11? He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. <coughs> his arm is a powerful arm. His arm is a tender arm. As he gathers his sheep, Remember, he goes out after the one that's lost, and he carries that sheep in his bosom. The all-powerful God, the creator of the universe, yet he's a pastoral God as he cares for his people. So then, Isaiah uses <coughs> a series of, of rhetorical questions to challenge the people to understand how great their God is. Kind of reminds you of the book of Job. When Job has gone through all this suffering, he doesn't understand why God has allowed him to suffer the way he has. Does God give him an answer? No. But what does God do? God reveals to Job how great and transcendent he is who has... <coughs> all the answers, who knows everything, says, Job, if I can do all these things, don't you think I know what I'm doing in your life? Trust me. So we see something very similar here in beginning with verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in, <coughs> in the hollow of his hand and meted out Heaven with a span, comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Now, can you imagine? Three-fourths of the earth's surface is water. But yet, what does he say? Who can measure it in the hollow of his hand? Now, that's a pretty awesome God, isn't it? And weigh the mountain in the scales. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel? Who instructed him? <coughs> and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding. Did anybody have to teach God? No. He has all understanding. So, does he understand what you're going through? Yes. Does he understand what that couple is going through that has just lost a child. Yes. He knows all things. And 
concerning them and the problem they were having because of the Babylonians and others. He says, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. <coughs> They're counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. <coughs> says, Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. It says, You could take all the lumber from Lebanon, all the animals, and that's not sufficient as a sacrifice to our great God. But then he goes further, verse 18. Here's some more questions. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? And then he talks about the foolishness of someone who takes a piece of wood and has it carved out and has it decked in gold and then has to carry it and bows down and worships and seeks to get comfort and help from a piece of wood that's been carved out of the tree. Says that's foolishness. Says our help comes from the Lord. Then verse 21, have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? <coughs> it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, that spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted, they shall not be sown, Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as a stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts, the stars, by number, <coughs> He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. So, how many stars are there? We have no idea. But yet, says he knows the name of every one of them. Now, is the population of the earth anywhere near what the number of stars in the sky? No. But yet he knows the name of everyone. If he knows the name of every star, how about you? You know your name? Does he know where you're at? Does he know what you're going through? Definitely. And everyone else. And so look in verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. He said, see, here was the temptation for them. We're in captivity. Things have not gone well for us. Does God care about us? Does he know what I'm really going through? I mean, this transcendent, this magnificent, this all-powerful God who created the heavens, 
<coughs> who knows the name of every star? Is he concerned about a little person like me? He says, why are you saying he's not concerned about your way? Because you've got the wrong view of who our God is. He's not only a powerful God, he's a pastoral God. He's the shepherd of his people. The Lord is my shepherd. What a great message we had on Psalm 23 a couple weeks ago. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This great, awesome God. So, verse 28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, <coughs> the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. So, he says, don't you know this great, awesome, eternal God? He doesn't faint. He's not weary. Kind of reminds you of what David said in one of the uh, Psalms, that he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He preserves his people. So he's trying to focus them. He says, this eternal God, this magnificent, this transcendent God, even though he's running the universe, he doesn't get weary. He doesn't faint. He doesn't lose sight of what's going on in your life or in my life, that he is our shepherd. And so he says, look in verse 29, <clears throat> he giveth power to the faint. Any of you in that condition today? Seems to get that way a lot of times as a student, doesn't it? Where we're ready to faint. He says, He giveth power to the faint. To them that have no might, He increaseth strength. He gives abundant uh, strength. He says, Even the youths. <coughs> Shall faint and be wary. All of you could agree with that, couldn't you? That no matter what your vitality is, you run out of energy because you're human. But when we come to the end of ourselves is when we see what God can do in our lives. You know, what was it that Paul, you know, stated when in his weakness, he says he had a thorn in the flesh. So he besought the Lord to remove that thorn in the flesh. And what was God's uh, answer to him? He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. He says, I found that in my weakness, I'm made strong. Now, do we realize our weakness? Some do. Some think they can just do everything in their own strength. And we're talking about in our uh, missions class, the, the picture that uh, missionaries are super 
Christians. You know, they can do anything. No, they're human. And we're all human. And when we realize and come to admit, you know, I can't do everything. And if I try to do everything in my own strength, then I'm not going to be successful as a servant of God. What did the Lord tell then Zerubbabel? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so <clears throat> he's saying here, I give power to the faint. They that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint, be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. <coughs> but, aren't you thankful for the buts? But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be, and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting upon the Lord. It's interesting, that word renew means to exchange. Now, your strength is limited. My strength is limited. Now, how about God's strength? Is that limited? No. Now, wouldn't it be a far better thing to exchange my strength for His strength? Amen. Definitely. And see, many times we... You know, we come to the end of ourselves, but sometimes God wants us to be at the end of ourselves. So we'll look to Him. They that wait on the Lord. Now, waiting is a hard thing to do, isn't it? Because we, want, we like things right now. <clears throat> but waiting means we have to put things in God's hands. That we have to trust Him. We have to submit to him, we have to admit, I can't do it myself. <coughs> I need you. You know, it's interesting, you know, David said when he came to the end of all that he went through in those years of fleeing from Saul, can you imagine all those years out in the wilderness and, and uh, running for his life and the hardships and the uh, times where he had no strength and where he wanted to give up. And he states in Psalm 18, especially starting with the introduction, a psalm of David, <coughs> the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. Later he says in Psalm 28, verse 7, The Lord is my strength, my shield, my heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise Him. Habakkuk. When he was almost to lose faith, he says, Lord, why are all these things going on? And it seems like 
You're not concerned and all this injustice. And God says, I'm working a work which you wouldn't believe if I were to tell you. And then God reveals to him that he's going to use the Babylonians to punish then the uh, Jews for their uh, sin. And so he knows the great suffering and what will take place with the country being defeated and destroyed by the Babylonians. But he's able to say at the end of Habakkuk, (coughs) chapter 3, verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon mine high places. And so Habakkuk found his strength in the Lord in the midst of all the trials there. We find also David states, after he had witnessed in Psalm 29 a massive thunderstorm going through the land of Israel, shaking uh, the land, and he talks about the voice of the Lord. But then in the very last sentence, uh, verse of Psalm uh, 29, David says, the Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. The Lord is who he had just seen with all his power and might, with the thunderbolts and the shaking of the land. He says, that God of great power will give me strength that I need in my life as well. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Where does the comfort come from? The Word of God and the God of the Word. He is a powerful God. Nothing is too hard for Him. We've heard some testimonies this morning of great things that God uh, has done. But not only is He a great and powerful God, He's a pastoral God who is a shepherd He says, comfort my people. I'm your God. He says, wait on me, and I will give strength to the faint. You'll be able to soar with wings as eagles. Run, not faint. Walk. Our God, the comfort from His Word, the comfort from waiting and trusting in Him who is a great shepherd and a great God. And if you have received Him as your Savior, He's your God uh, as well. And He will give strength. And He'll use us to comfort others uh, as well with the comfort whereby we've been comforted because Paul tells us there in 2 Corinthians 1-3 that He's the God of all comfort. And he comforts us so that we can comfort others with the same comfort whereby we have been comforted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word uh, today. We thank you for the comfort that you've given us through your word and through the knowledge of who you are. I pray that our view of you would be increased, that our focus would be off of our circumstances. off of ourselves and upon you. 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.